Well, when I was growing up, I was most definitely afraid of the dark. I had a nightlight in my room. I still remember the visceral horror of the bathroom light bulbs blacking out on more than one occasion while I was getting ready for bed. And I really didn't care for the last few weeks of October leading up to Halloween when really the darkness of the latest horror films kind of dominated commercial advertising. Today's readings describe Jesus as the one and only who can banish darkness with a light that cannot be overcome. And today's readings invite us to wonder and worship at the glory of Christ, who created a way for us to be in intimate relationship with God the Father, the giver of life, and the giver of the unassailable light of Christ. And although our liturgical year began with Advent a few weeks ago, today's readings actually seem quite fitting to end this calendar year of 2020, which has been a year marked by a great deal of darkness. In our gospel reading for today, John searches for a way to describe the wonder of what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's, he's looking for a way to put into words what seems indescribable. And as he does so, he makes rich use of this image or this metaphor of light and darkness. Now, a metaphor, of course, is used to describe abstract things with concrete things. Metaphors can help explain ideas by making comparisons. And metaphors are really quite powerful in their ability to communicate truth. They, they have this power to evoke emotions, to deepen what we know about something, and even to foster community among people who together make use of those metaphors. So we're going to first think about this metaphor or this image of light and darkness. When you think about light and darkness, what images come to mind? maybe from childhood or maybe even from this last week. And as you think about these images, what emotions come to the surface? Now for the kids or the adults among us who like to doodle as you listen, feel free to draw a picture of light and darkness and see if you can draw also a picture of the emotions that come with that image. And as you do, we're gonna see what John draws out of this metaphor as he describes Jesus as the true light. I see, um, I see in this passage at least five ways that we can think about light and darkness as John uses it. And there may be more ways that this metaphor can be drawn out because metaphors are so rich with meaning. And as we look at this together, I'm actually going to start a little bit before our gospel reading for today. So we're going to start in verse four. So John one, verse four. First, light brings life. Our lives can't be sustained without light. And this is how God created the world. So something like photosynthesis requires light for plants and trees to grow and flourish and provide sustenance to God's creatures. Sunlight actually helps our physical bodies to release serotonin, which is great for our well-being. Sunlight helps us to produce vitamin D and it supports a healthy sleep cycle. Light is critical for flourishing life. And here in verse four, John says that through Jesus, who was with God in the beginning, all things were made. So when God said, let there be light, Jesus was part of that creative force. And the light that was called into being was necessary for life. It's necessary for the life that would be created in the next few days of creation. And Jesus is life, says John, and Jesus's life is the light of all humankind. Light is critical for flourishing life. And so Jesus here, described as light, evokes that idea of Jesus being critical for the beginning of life 
and for the flourishing of humankind. Light brings life. Second, light banishes darkness. The moment we flip on a light switch in a darkened room, darkness dissipates. The darkness can't creep back unless the light is extinguished. And here in verse five, John describes Jesus as that light shining in darkness and that the darkness has not and will not overcome it. Light banishes darkness. And third, light brings clarity. A lot of times when we're talking about knowing or understanding something, we actually use metaphors of light and darkness. So for example, we can be kept in the dark about something. Things we don't know are foggy. When we begin to understand something, light is shed on the subject and things begin to clear up. When we suddenly understand something, the light bulb goes on and we might say, oh, I see. Here in verses six through eight, John the disciple describes John the Baptist as witness to the light, as the one who brings clarity to who Jesus is in preparation for Jesus's coming. John testifies about the light, clearing the way for belief in the coming Jesus. But John is careful to say that even as John the Baptist is clearing the way for Jesus to be seen, Jesus himself is the true light there in verse nine. And fourth, light doesn't discriminate. It shines for everyone. When we light a candle in a darkened room, the candle lights more than just the corner where we might be sitting. Candlelight filters throughout an open space and anyone in that room can benefit from that candle that has been lit. In verse nine, John describes this light as offered to everyone, to all people. And finally, sometimes light hurts and darkness can actually be more comfortable. So think about how flipping on a light switch in the middle of the night can actually be utterly blinding, hurting our eyes, sparking a quick headache. Or I think about when I'm driving at night and maybe someone in the car turns on the overhead light so they can see. And my first reaction is, no, turn it off. The light hurts my eyes and the light makes it hard to navigate the night in the ways that I was used to. When Jesus did come into a world darkened by sin, his light was so bright as to be blinding to eyes accustomed to the darkness. Or maybe because it's a metaphor, we can put a slightly different spin on it. Though the light that is Jesus banishes darkness, that light might make what was previously known and comfortable in the darkness entirely unrecognizable there in verses 10 to 11. Sometimes the light of Jesus can be disorienting to the parts of us that are comfortable with the darkness. Light brings life. It banishes darkness. Light brings clarity. It doesn't discriminate. It shines for all. And sometimes that shining light can be a little uncomfortable. And here is the good news in verses 12 and 13, that those who receive the light of the life of Jesus come into the world to dwell among us in the flesh. Those who see the glory of the one and only and welcome him enter into intimate relationship with God as God's child. And here, John introduces another pretty incredible metaphor. And it's one that Paul later picks up in his efforts to describe what it is exactly that our salvation looks like. What is this? And it's an image of being adopted into God's family as a son. 
There's a New Testament reading for today that we didn't get to hear yet. It's found in Galatians 3 and 4, and I'm just going to read part of it right now because of how Paul expands on what John introduces here in verse 12, when John says that those who believe on Jesus' name are given the right to be called children of God. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's son. And since you are his son, God also made you an heir. Now, in what I just read, I specifically used that language of sonship rather than using the more inclusive child, because this concept of sonship is actually especially good news for the majority of us here. And let me explain. In the ancient world, adoption did not look like adoption today. Today, when we think of adoption, we think of bringing a vulnerable child into a family to be given a home and safety, to be given a chance to be raised by living, loving parents. This was not what adoption was in the ancient world. In the time of these New Testament writers, adoption was initiated by the patriarch of a family who did not have a son who could be his heir. Adoption was initiated by an adult male, particularly in Roman and Greek culture, towards other adult males to secure an heir for the family. It was given to adult men. Adoption occurred to preserve a household. An adult male was adopted to carry on the family name first, second, to receive the family's inheritance, and third, to carry on the family cult or religion in continuing to sacrifice to and honor the family gods. So adoption wasn't actually for the sake of the son. It was done to ensure the future of the father. In ancient adoption, a second or third born adult son of another family could be adopted but generally slaves, women, and children could not be adopted. It's also interesting to note that an adopted son would not give up his natural family. His adopted and his biological family remained a part of his relationships, of his biographical details, and of his story. So John, in describing God's mission of sending Jesus, and for Paul in discussing the idea of adoption into sonship, both expand this right of adoption, the right to be an heir, to carry on the family name, to carry on the family beliefs. They expand the right of being called a child of God to all who believe on his name. This right to sonship, sonship as a technical term, doesn't just belong to a second or third freeborn and usually wealthy male or Roman or Greek adult male. The right to be adopted into the family of God belongs to any male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, child or adult who believes in Jesus' name. And John says, those who do receive the true light that came into the world, those who see and receive the glory of the one and only, and enter into an intimate relationship with God as a child of God and receive all the benefits of sonship. When we caught a glimpse of the glory of the one and only Son, when we received the true light that came into the world, we gained the right to enter into intimate relationship with God as his child. 
So when you hear adoption and child of God in scripture, hear the implications of this metaphor in the Greco-Roman context, that you are chosen by the Father to receive the name of God, to carry on God's name, and to receive inheritance from God, the inheritance of his kingdom and a new creation. Earlier, I asked what comes to mind when you think about light and darkness, what images or emotions are evoked. And as I've been pondering um, our readings this past week, I've of course been particularly attuned to this, the language and the images of light and darkness. So for example, last Monday was winter solstice, which is the shortest day of our year. Sunrise is late in chasing away the darkness and the darkness came more quickly in the late afternoon than in any other day of the year. And yet on our darkest day of the year, Jupiter and Saturn met in the Bethlehem star formation. It's been 400 years since this happened and 800 years since this happened at night and distant enough from the sun so that it could be seen. And I couldn't help but think how kind of God to give us something to inspire awe, something like this, something that is bright with light in a dark night sky at the end of such a difficult year. When I think about this year, I also think about the darkness of death. Over the last week, I became aware of two deaths in my own work community, two people I had met when I had gotten to know a little more personally, both who went to be with Jesus right before Christmas. In these last few weeks, we are hearing of more deaths each day due to COVID than we've seen yet, uh, more deaths than would happen each day if COVID didn't exist. And also this week, a million people have been vaccinated frontline healthcare workers that are helping to save the lives of so many with and without COVID and their health means life for so many. And of course, the many challenges of 2020 can probably be described as dark. In addition to illness and death from COVID, we've seen economic devastation and we've experienced the mental and emotional toll of countries shut down because of a virus we can't see or touch or fully protect ourselves against. We've seen the darkness of systemic racism exposed yet again. We've lived through the darkness of a contentious political cycle and the, just the language and the rhetoric that comes with that. And in, in these last few weeks of the calendar year, we've also seen, or I've also seen at least in the neighborhoods near me, what seems like an explosion of homes putting up lights for Christmas in an almost desperate attempt for something warm and joyful. And we've also seen the light of our own Advent candles on Christmas Eve, where we were lighting white candles throughout the service in our own homes to represent the true light of Christ. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. It's a light that brings life, that banishes darkness, that brings clarity, that shines for all to see, and in places where we might be too comfortable, it's a light that exposes the darkness, that says this is not how things ought to be. And this is not all that there will be. It's a light that comes into a world darkened by sin, driven by God's mission to receive us into his family as firstborn inheritors of God's own future, life with God for eternity in the new heaven and in the new earth. Even at the end of, of a dark calendar year, we, we join a long line of hope-filled and wonder-filled people who cling to this truth. The darkness will not overcome the light 
and the life of Jesus, God with us. Amen.